You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap. Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and, and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out. And the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How are you doing, Brian? We're doing very well. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, thanks for putting another one of these together. We're uh, This is number three now. We're, it seems like we're, I think we're a little over a year since the last one. Um, I know you got a lot going out there, 11 angling, you've got, um, we'll put links in the show notes to the past episode because we talked about Alaska, we talked about trips and traveling a little bit. On this one, we're going to talk a little bit about maybe Chile, New Zealand, you know, some of the the events you have coming, the Texas uh, Fly Fishing and Brew Festival um, down there. So I want to dig into all that, but maybe just give us a quick update. Since our last uh, kind of talk over a year ago, what's been going on? Are you kind of all 11 angling all the time? Is that what you have going? Well, it is all consuming and it's a, a great way to be consumed. I have uh, had the pleasure of working and notice the quotations around that working in New Zealand yeah. uh, in uh, last season, which was in their summer, December and in March had a great two trips to Cedar Lodge on the South Island. And then 11 bought a lodge on the North end of the South Island called Owen river lodge. And so I was down there checking it out, doing photos getting familiar with their operation. So between Cedar Lodge and Owen River Lodge, you really have the two best fishing opportunities in New Zealand. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and you're out there. And what is your role? I know you talked about this on the last one, but with 11 Angling, you go there to um, document it or talk about what your role is when you go there. Yeah, there's a lot to do when you acquire a new property. So one thing is we immediately need photos for social, for websites, for any printed materials. So I'm kind of a madman going all over the place, fishing, of course, and then showing landscapes and lodge photos, food photos, staff, all that stuff. So that's a, you know, really fun uh, job to be yeah. given. And, um, and then just to get familiar with people there and get to know, you know, what they like and what they do best and um, just continue the, you know, great reputation that most of these lodges already have. And uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of hard to call it work when you're out, yep. you know, stalking a six-pound brown, you know, <laughs> but uh, it, it is actually sort of. Yeah, right. And you go over there, and do you also do some of the, the, like, hosted trips with clients and things like that? Not too often, but I will piggyback a trip, uh, like, a couple trips ago. I did uh, a week with the editor of Gray Sporting Journal, and then a week with Ross Purnell, a oh, fly yeah. fisherman, and so we just you know, go fish. And then I take photos for them and for us. And it really works out well. They're, they're all usually just great people. So everybody has a good time. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. That is great. Yeah. We got, uh, I've had uh, 
Ross, we chat. I just I have John Randolph coming on too. I've been waiting to get him on to hear some of the story. The you probably know John a little bit. Oh yeah, I go. Oh, I don't know. Back almost forty years with John. Oh cool. And then Scott Sadil was the editor of Great Sporting Journal, and and he's from Hood River, Oregon, and I lived in Oregon forty five years. So it, it's almost like going just fishing with your buddy, except it's a job. That's right. That's right. And where are you at now? Remind us again. What state are you in? Well, I'm in eastern Idaho, so I'm right between the Henry's Fork and the South Fork of the Snake. And it, that was the whole idea was logistics and being fairly close to an airport, which would be Idaho Falls. And uh, so if I go get groceries or gas, the nearest town is Rexburg. It's um, kind of a unique town out here because there's a BYU campus in Rexburg. It used to be called Rick's College. And actually, Ross Purnell, fly fisherman, did go to Rick's College one year. Hmm. And then he got smart. But, um, but anyway, BYU-Idaho has 44,000 students in, wow. in, this, in this little town. You know, it's like the size of... Well, what's the town? I don't know. Rexburg. Oh, yeah, you're in Rexburg. Okay, yeah, we yeah. were just there. We were, um, I was up there uh, doing some uh, Euro stuff with Pete uh, Erickson, and we had a trip. It was my first time on the Henry's Fork in the South Fork, and it was, yeah, it was oh, really yeah. amazing. Yeah, so I just, you know, a college town's generally fairly inexpensive because they have so much you know, available rentals. I just found a spot that was on a country road that's six miles to the snake and 15 miles to the, to Goodwater. It's closer to the Henry's Park, but I mean, Goodwater is 15 to 20 miles away. And then on up to Railroad Ranch and Henry's Lake. And yeah, it's pretty good. The winters are a little bleak, but uh, fortunately I'll be in Chile three weeks in January. I'm going back to New Zealand in 10 days. So I try to get, uh, get out of town a little bit in the winter and there is a little ski mountain right here, which is kind of interesting. It's called Killy Canyon. I never have ever heard of it. Uh-huh. And then one, one day on the radio, I heard sort of an ad for Killy Canyon. And I looked on my maps on my phone and it said it was 12 miles away. And I thought, that's impossible. I can see 12 miles. <laughs> I, I don't see anything that would be a ski, but up this little canyon on the Snake River. And uh, there it is, about three chairlifts. And oh, wow. you finish the day in a hot springs swimming pool for I don't know, something like seven or eight bucks. And, uh, you, I, you know, I work and I do a late afternoon, early evening night ski ticket yep. and grab a beer and a pizza and a hot spring soak for about 85 bucks. I mean, that's hard to beat. Holy yeah. cow. That's amazing. Yeah. So there's a little something to do in the winter. Yeah, right. There is. And, and as the winter started to set in a little bit, are things cooling down there? Yeah. We're getting into the low twenties at night, but you know, that's just how it is out in the northern northwest rockies but um yeah i'm enjoying it here it's very nice good 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 well um yeah like we said we want to talk a little on the new zealand the trips and really we're kind of framing this around um you know the texas like we said the fly fishing and brew festival uh, Bo, who we've been working with helping to get the word out on that one i haven't been out there yet i'm hoping to get there i know it's in uh, later february you're going to be going there let's talk about that a little bit let's just start there what is the presentation you're going to be doing? I think you're talking about the New Zealand and Chile. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to do a Southern Hemisphere trout presentation. So it'll be, of course, Patagonia region in Chile because we have two lodges there and then also the two lodges in New Zealand. And it's really fun because I've done that show quite a bit at other shows. And it's really interesting because you start to show all that, the amazing fishing in Chile and the scenery, the food, the gauchos and condors. And, and you can just tell people are like, wow, this place is unbelievable. But I have to warn them. I say, no, you know, you're just dating. You're just dating with Chile. I'm going to show you New Zealand next. <laughs> and right. so, 
you're going to see all that, those big fish, those beautiful rivers, the just amazing scenery and helicopter flights every day and all this stuff. And you're going to divorce Chili. And then you're going to, you know, you're going to get married. You got to be dating both of them. You do. What if you can't date both? You have to choose one. Which one are you choosing? I'd kill myself. Really? You just would date. You would do it. I, no, there's no way you can do one or the other. They're different, obviously. And then they're a lot the same. And really the, a lot the same part comes from, you know, if I grab a fly rod off the rack and I fish the South Fork with a snake, it's the exact same equipment, same flies, wet wading or with waders. And you go from Idaho to New Zealand or Idaho to Chile and it's same, a lot of the same techniques and the same insects and streamer fishing. So yes, they're all tied together. Fly fishing ties them all together. But then you realize that they're just so incredible via the people, food, scenery. Yeah. Um, I would never pick. I could never pick. You couldn't pick. Yeah. We, we had an episode recently on, um, I guess it was episode 523 with uh, Trent and Janelle. And they talked about the DIY. We were kind of, t- they've done both of these, New Zealand and Chile, but they did it on, it was a crazy story. In fact, we got some kind of some almost, I guess it was kind of hate mail on some of the, you know, just because of. I don't know what it was, but the way they talked, but they did these trips on literally they went to New Zealand with zero money in their bank accounts and had like just bought the tickets and went there and just stayed there for a month and they figured it out. Right. So they bought a car and they just, and I think you have some of that experience. Like when you first got going, right. Take us back to the, didn't you do some traveling early on? And then is that a lot different than what you're doing now? Oh yeah. Um, some of the, my two experiences were the same. That was catching beautiful fish in a beautiful place. But when I was 19, I, Got out of Lincoln High in Portland, Oregon, and I'd been saving my money, and I had a ticket to Auckland, and then you have to have an ongoing ticket, so I had my outbound was to Melbourne, Australia. Then I flew down there in 1973, and then I stayed 11 months. And, wow. And uh, six of that was fishing just about every day, and I, you know, backpack and Fenwick fiberglass fly rod, fluegrammetalist reel, scientific angler, supreme line i mean all the old <laughs> ancient stuff i mean it's the was the cornerstone of sort of modern fly fishing but so i hiked all the hikes and traveled all over and you know i ran out of money because it was really weird i had 500 dollars u.s dollars i got there and it was devalued to 380 oh, new wow. zealand and so 19 year old kids don't know what that means that just seems like they're stealing from me or they're, <laughs> they're taxing me or I didn't understand the valuation, and, and so I sort of started sort of grumpy, like, geez, I only have yeah. 380 bucks. But I went for a couple months and stayed in youth hostels and camped out, and then I got a job on a dairy farm and kind of huh. built up a couple hundred bucks. And, and then uh, when fishing season was coming to an end, I was down on the south end of the South Island, all the way to Stewart Island, which is beyond the South Island, and then came back up and ended up in Queenstown and skied the season and worked as a dishwasher in a restaurant at night and skied every day. And so I didn't really make any money, but I didn't lose any money. And, uh, you know, when you're young and you're doing a trip like that, I mean, it just sets you up for your life is going to be, you're going to be a, just a bum, you know? <laughs> so I, of course, stayed in skiing and did, you know, ski patrol and different things like that all over and then guided and fishing. So I was destined to, you know, probably never work in a tall building or, you know, have 
some sort of corporate experience, but I actually ended up with that working for scientific anglers. You know, that was owned by 3M at the time. So you were part of the 3M world. That's as as big as it gets. And then, you know, Patagonia had great structures, Sims, Orvis. And so, yeah, I got, you know, sort of, I touched the big corporate world, even though basically lived out of a van or a Subaru and fished a day and worked a day, but it all came together. Yeah, it all came together. And and now, and talk about the 11. We talked a little bit about this last time, but what is um, 11 angling and, and what is the 11 in 11 angling? Okay, that's the most common question I get, and as it should be. So the 11 came from spinal tap of turn it up to 11. So oh. one more than 10. And so that's their uh, their MO. Gotcha. Of, a spinal tap was a was a um, kind of a, what do you call it? A spoof band, not a real band? Or what was spinal tap? Yeah, I've actually never seen it. Um, I don't even own a, own a TV. <laughs> <laughs> you don't? That's awesome. No, I know. I just rather fish. Yeah. But, uh, well, Spinal Tap has a cult following of, you know, yeah, it's a, I guess a fake rock and roll band and just the life they lead. But, uh, so 11, you know, sort of is our, you know, we try to exceed expectations by going one past 10. Yeah. And who is the person behind like choosing the Spinal Tap reference with 11? Oh, the couple that owns 11, um, they have been to dozens of Grateful Dead concerts and and they just love music. We have yeah. a recording studio in Iceland now that's been used by quite a few known huh. bands. And so, uh, which is pretty cool because it's in the middle of nowhere. And I just think if you're a musician and you're, let's say you're coming out of traditional, you know, band towns, LA, Nashville, but now you, you walk outside of the studio and you're looking up at the Northern Lights, you know, and right. there's no distractions. It's just, pretty cool i uh i like visiting it it's a really neat place really techie yet super isolated so yeah that's fun but you're gonna be gotta be careful i'll wander off the subject oh, i love this day. no no keep this is what it's all about the more i get into the podcast the more i realize the more we just talk we'll, we'll bring it back you know the, of course yeah, I, but i call it rambling but you can do whatever you no, want it's called podcasting that's what we call it now okay it's, instead of rambling oh, good. But, um so let's bring it back then. So we're talking about, let's take us to the Texas. So for those out there, I'm not sure how we're, how far off people are coming from to the, go to this festival, but you're going to be at this thing. So what are you, are you sitting in a theater and presenting like some photos and talking about the trips or how's that look? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there'll be several theaters going at any time and also casting demonstrations, all the normal fly show stuff. And a little caveat to all that. Did you know that Bo and I are related? No, no, how, yeah. no I didn't. No, I didn't either. Uh, <laughs> not until maybe 15 years ago. And and it's sort of a convoluted story of yeah. people. But yeah, he's uh, some sort of uncle of mine. And uh, so, yeah, I think so. I think, well, I don't know how it works really. Uh, Is this like seven degrees of separate Kevin Bacon sort of thing? Yeah. Um, my uncle, I think, married his wife's sister or something like that. So it's not. Oh, gotcha. Not blood. You know, I, I'm not going over there for Thanksgiving, but yeah, it, there's there's a connection which we joke about a lot. But anyway, so Bo's shows are you know fly fishing only with a theme of like in Virginia it's wine and in Texas it's beer. So great combinations, and so I'll have a booth there for eleven angling. We you know explain and answer questions for people that want to do some travel, and um, and then our you know our theater presentation is. Like we mentioned earlier, the uh, Southern Hemisphere Trophy Trout, and and it's just a blast. I, I love seeing it. You know, it's regular PowerPoint show, but, you know, it's 
once you're hooked on that type of fishing, especially the sight fishing mm. and dry fly fishing for fish over six pounds, it's, it's just amazing and it never gets old. And, uh, so I'm, I'm probably giving the show and grinning the biggest grin yeah, just cause it's just so cool. Gotcha. So you're, so taking New Zealand, so dry fly fishing for these giant fish, um, and you're just kind of walking through some, are you talking tips on how to do it or just showing some big fish in the area and stuff like that? Yeah. Lots of, you know, technical, inf- well, I hate the word technical yeah. information. It's still fishing, but it's, you know, New Zealand style fishing is the walk and stalk sight fishing. And, you know, when you get down to it, the time you're casting a day is in the minutes because you're spotting fish, sneaking, creeping up, and then you get the right fly, you make the cast, fight the fish. So it's kind of like tarpon fishing. You're not casting all day, but when you are, it's nothing better. You know, it's Mm. it's just as good as trout fishing can get. Chile has probably more variety in technique, so it's, you know, the hopper dropper type stuff. There's some match the hatch fishing and these huge eddies on on big rivers where there's suspended rainbows and they're really fun because the, the boat is hard to control in those eddies. So you kind of really get a teamwork thing going with the guide and they're nice fish. And there's more streamer fishing, the dry dragonfly fishing on Yolcho Lake. And, uh, and then there's the eeling. I don't know if you're familiar with that, no. but there's a little fish that's in our language. We call it white bait. Hmm. And then in Chile, it's puyin. And it's a really thin, eel-like uh, small fish. And that's why people call it fishing eels or eeling. Mm. They're actually born in the estuary from eggs on plants that are exposed to the air uh, wow. at low tide. It's really weird. And then the mice eat a lot of the eggs. But then the tide comes in, and that's what they like. And then they're hatched out in the estuary. As they get a little bit bigger, they school up and migrate up rivers all over the place in Asia and hmm. uh, in New Zealand, other places. And, and people net them as they come up and they're delicious. You just put the whole little fish with a whole bunch of them in a pan and make scrambled eggs with them and stuff wow. like that. And now is this New Zealand or Chile? This is Chile. Okay. But they have white bait in New Zealand also. Okay. And so, uh, and Argentina has them and it's a famous fishing phenomenon where these little thin, skinny eel like fish, move up into the river systems and then the trout start schooling them up like you would see dorado or sailfish doing that in saltwater wow and of course once they get a good you know bunch of them crazy there's generally going to be a little bit of structure nearby like a stump or some rocks or a ledge part of a eddy or something and then they go on the blitz and they just attack them and there's little fish flying out of the air some end up on dry land and of course uh nice little thin streamer even more thin than a clouser um, into that mix is just a guaranteed strike so these are almost all going to be big fish and absolutely it's just panic mode with these little fish jumping out of the water and, and these bigger fish attacking them so it's really exciting and that's kind of a unique uh technique or experience in chile and a lot of people aren't familiar with that but once they see it happen it'll be their favorite style of trout fishing they've ever done Mm. and uh super fun so yeah i do a lot of the tackle and technique you know information because i think more than half of the people that come to those shows don't plan on staying at a lodge they're looking at maybe hiring some day guides or they want to go do it themselves and yeah so the information's free 
and that's fun. That's fine with me. And uh, it's pretty cool. Today's episode is brought to you by Northern Rockies Adventures, premium fly fishing trips in the heart of the BC Rockies. Premium all-inclusive fishing packages from Vancouver, BC. Daily fly-in fishing trips to get you straight to the action. And the lodges offer private cabins and the utmost comfort. Learn more about this exclusive BC fishing trip at nradventures.com slash wetflyswing. And those are two places, you know, that are pretty far away. You know, it takes a little bit more effort to get there. But what would you say if somebody, let's just take it to the Chile, uh, Patagonia. You know, somebody's asking, you know, they want to head down there. Maybe they don't, aren't able to do the lodge. What's the first thing? What do you tell them? Do you direct them somewhere? Or what does that look like? Yeah, well, just like in the U.S., there's a few towns that are sort of trout towns. And Argentina has them. Chile has them. So, if it was in the USA, it's in Montana. It's going to be Bozeman, Ennis, um, places like that with fly shops, guides, and close to good fishing. So it's probably best to, you know, get oriented in a in a town that has a fly fishing culture, get maps and good information, mm-hmm. unless you have all that already. But so anyway, a good place to start, like in Chile, would be Coyhaique, and then there's shuttle services, guides. Okay, and how do you spell that, Coyhaique? Oh, geez. <laughs> I'll try to, let me I'll try to yeah. figure it out. <laughs> yeah. It's pronounced kind of with an H in the middle, Kohaki. Oh wow. So it's um I'll let you handle that one. I'll figure it out. <laughs> and uh those are good places to start. And and plus you'll meet people and there's you know pubs and places to get pizza and you see people with Sims shirts on, Orvis or Cabela's, you know, you can probably just, hey, what you up to? What are you doing? And then share information and and that's you know, especially if someone has a decent, you know, skill in Spanish, you can really start going for it uh, without speaking Spanish. It's pretty tough because it's hard to ask permission on some of the estancias or communicating with any kind of local. So Spanish skills are nice. And then just being, you know, ready to find stuff and be ready to be shut down and, uh, you know, staying loose and having some time. Yeah. So basically get down there and, uh, and just do some research. Like, uh, you know, if you're not, there's probably some guides down there. If you don't get a lodge, get your lodging, figure that out. But it is kind of, if you're going to Montana right now and you're going to drive there from somewhere in the country, you could probably just drive there with your truck, with your stuff, maybe camp out a little bit, hang out, get to know the stop by the shop. So it's the same thing in Argentina. If you get down to one of these towns or, or Chile that you could kind of do the same thing. Yep, pretty much. I've done some, you know, Subaru outback trips from Chile across the border, go to Jurassic Lake, fish other places in Argentina, come back into Chile. And sometimes, you know, it's no different than us. If you cross a bridge over a river, pull over, walk down, especially if it's the outlet of a lake or where a river comes into a lake, that's always a hot spot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's, there's public access and then there's giant ranches too so you know you you do need to ask and generally people are real good about letting you fish because again there's not this fishing culture that we have that's that that would be more protective of their water and i've even had in chile outside of koyaki a rancher kind of you know understood what i was asking and he points to some of this area on the simpson river and 
those are the good holes. And, and then he runs down the dirt road and opens a couple gates for me. I'm like, wow, they huh. don't do this. They don't do this in Wyoming. And so, yeah. And then he, on the way, you know, down to the river, he says to me, you know, stop at my house on your way back and I'll squeeze some fresh apple juice for you. And wow. it's just like, are you kidding me? This is really cool. So those, those fun things that happen when you're, you know, just doing it yourself, but, um, it's all good. I mean, your best trip for, you know, is going to be guided, yeah. obviously. And then again, sometimes your experience you create sort of randomly will never be beat, you know, just because they're magical. Like the guy making me fresh pressed apple juice for fishing his property. That was just amazing. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's, I think if you have time, right, that's part of it. If you have a lot of time, like you said, you had 11 months back in the day. But if yeah. you could take some months off just to not have the pressure, you know, instead of like going down and being like, hey, I got a week or two weeks. What do you think would be a good amount of time to spend down if you're kind of doing it on your own, just cruising? Oh, around? probably three week yeah. minimum. Yeah. It's pretty hard to do the exploration and the hits and misses and and, and then have to go home. Yeah. And what would be, remind us again now, if, if through 11 angling, what are the lodges if somebody wanted to, if they did have some funding to put that together, what, how would they do that? What, talk about those a little with that experience. Yeah. And you can get all that information on our website at leavenangling.com. But so we prefer our sort of hardcore or very enthusiastic fly anglers to look at Martin Pescador Lodge. And it's actually two lodges. We split the week in half. So you see one region with a beautiful lodge on the river and there's jet boats, rafts and power drifters. Oh, wow. And what part of Chile is that? Well, it's South. Uh, and, and then the nearest big town is Portamont, which is where you fly commercial into. And then we take a little puddle jumper flight down to a small town of Chaiten. And then you're in just a beautiful region of tons of water. And the big body of water nearby would be Lago Yelcho and, and the Fudalafu River that comes in and the Rio Yocho that goes out, plus the Palena River and Rosalot and, and others. There's a lot of rivers. And so, you know, I like this two lodge program because at any given place, there's going to be places, you know, streams or rivers and lakes even that are hot. You know, they're, the guides know mm-hmm. where the best fishing, the biggest fishing are going to be. And then if you can kind of cherry pick those watersheds for three or four days and then move a couple hours and go to a different lodge on a different set of rivers and lakes and streams. And those guides know how to cherry pick the best there. So you really get the best of two trips instead of one. And it just, you know, I just say, if you go to California and you went to one little town for a week, you really haven't seen California, you know, so it's just too big. And the same thing with anywhere right. in Chile would be the same. So you can see one region, move a bit and see another it's just a different sets of mountains rivers and i just think it's a, a neat way to spend a week and you never fish the same water twice of course unless you really want to and um and so there's everything there's little streams that have brook trout that for a day one angler you will probably get you know 50 strikes to a dry fly and it's a great place to learn presentation setting the hook fighting releasing and then for experienced anglers who are really going down there to, you know, target bigger fish, then it's streamer fishing and hopper dropper and, and other things that are just fun to do. So um, 
I think having that too large program just sets people up for seeing the best of the best. Yeah. And, and do you find the people coming down working with 11 uh, is all those folks are a mix people like newer and uh, diversity of like skill levels? Yeah. Um, not a lot of first timers, but that's but some of our lodges that do fly fishing and say heli skiing in the winter and whitewater rafting, paddle boarding, bikes, horses, the whole gamut. Then yeah, we do get more first timers or beginner and intermediate anglers and then boom, we're just out the door or in the helicopter going to a, a spot that's going to blow their mind. Um, but at several lodges, and that would be both in New Zealand and Martin Pescador in Chile, they're really set up for people that are ready, ready to go and just fish hard every day. And, and we make it a little easy on them. I, I don't know how many places do this, but we provide all the gear. So mm. the best rods, reels, lines, um, you know, Sims and Patagonia waders, jackets, boots, and you know, lugging that stuff from anywhere in the U.S. or anywhere in Europe all the way down there is really sort of tedious. And mm-hmm. not, but you can take, especially coming home, you know, not having wet gear and rod tubes and reels and stuff, you can really lighten your luggage, and it's just so much nicer just get down there, and then there's a rack of all the best rods in the world, and and you can have right or left hand reel. And so it's pretty seamless. You just have to get there and then be ready. We like to fish. So we'll fish hard. And even when there's fishing out the front door, say before dinner, after dinner, most people are so wiped out. They just want to have a, you know, a cocktail or a beer and hang out and then have a big dinner. That's right. Yeah. Cause we're so close to the water. You know, we just jump in a boat and go and there's hardly any downtime whatsoever. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And, like looking ahead, I guess, kind of where we are, where are you going to be doing uh, other areas, hitting other areas next year or two with 11? Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, I've got a really fun trip coming up in early January. I'm going to go with sort of my neighbor, Kelly Gallup. So he's oh, just yeah. over there. So I, I leave here, you know, I'd go up towards West Yellowstone and then cut down Riddles Pass and boom, you're on the Madison River. And yep. I've known Kelly forever. So he and I are going uh, with some of his favorite people and a couple of mine, and we're going to have a week at those two lodges. And obviously we'll do some streamer fishing, but you know, Kelly's beyond a streamer fisherman. I mean, he's, whether it's midges or any kind of match the hatch fishing, Kelly's got the game, you know, so it'll be fun fishing. It'll be just a blast hanging out and uh, hot tubbing and, having pisco sours and so uh <laughs> that's pretty cool yeah um, and then um yeah i've got another photo trip to do to new zealand because we remodeled a lodge cedar lodge down by wanaka and queenstown and i've got to go get pictures of the remodeling and then you know probably jump in a helicopter for a few days and uh get some more angling photos but uh, after all that you know we hit the show circuit so we'll all hit, right uh, yeah both the big shows, uh, Bo's yep. Texas show, and then the fly fishing shows, yeah, Atlanta and Denver and Seattle. Oh, there's a new show in Bellevue, Washington. Oh, yeah. Now, so that'll be kind of fun. Yeah, the Bellevue. That's right. Good. So, yeah. So you do the whole show circuit during coming up here, right? Coming up right around the corner. Yep. So on the travel, are you still, I mean, it sounds like you're just, you're traveling quite a bit. Is that something you still are loving, not getting tired of the traveling and all that stuff? Yeah. In a way, you know, nobody really likes clogged airports and delayed flights and yeah. the things that can happen, especially in winter travel. But 
I'm actually not bad about those long flights. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I do San Francisco to Auckland, 10 and a half hours or so, I'm, I'm okay. I, I purposely do not see movies at home. I will wait till I can find them on a flight and see movies. So if you can do two or three movies, you're looking at three quarters of your trip. But then I sleep well on planes. So that's fine. So I don't, I don't really mind those. Uh, you know, it's just the benefits outweigh, you know. Yeah. And I travel on the cheap seats, you know, I'm, I'm not in first class. And, but, you know, these newer planes are huge and they're actually not that bad. No. You just have to be able to be comfortable, sleep a bit, and next day you know you're there. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't love airports and all that stuff, but I love going to places, Chile, New Zealand, Iceland, Alaska, British Columbia, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it's worth it. It's fun. And uh, like to keep doing it for a while. Perfect. Perfect. And yeah. in, in New Zealand uh, the, is the other part of that show we were talking about. You're going to sh- be showing some slides there. What is that now? Same thing. Describe that again a little bit on, on the lodges there and what that looks like. Yeah, so we have two lodges, one more towards the southern part of the South Island and just some of the most amazing scenery. And it's a fly-out lodge. It's Cedar Lodge. It's been around for 40 years and always has been a fly-out lodge. And so we, you know, give everybody a great breakfast and you jump in the helicopter and you're out on some remote stream all day, um, no mm-hmm. road access. And, and it's, you know, pretty hard to beat in the world of trout fishing. And then um, our other lodge is Owen River Lodge, and it's set in the north end of the South Island near Nelson and Murchison. And some of those rivers are valley streams, and you'll be walking along a you know, sheep hmm. pasture, almost like walking in the park and spotting big browns. And then there's also road access up into the almost wilderness. I mean, really remote areas, and the guides will hike in and, we kind of scramble into these rivers. They're just gorgeous. It seems like you're the first one to ever fish them. You never see a footprint or an indicator or anything there. It's just wild. And there's the option of jumping in a helicopter on a daily basis and going into some really remote areas. So Cedar and Owen are both big trout, nice scenery. Um, and, you know, of course, they're just going to be deluxe lodges with incredible accommodation and fantastic staff and food. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's New Zealand shouldn't be, uh, if it should be a win, right. You know, everybody should go there. It just, you got to do it at yeah. least once. It'd at be very once. hard to do it once, but, um, and you, and you come away and when you come home and what people will do is ask, how was your trip and what was your favorite part? And you know what? Most people say the people and that's, you know, New Zealand's thing forever. And even Chile, even if you don't speak Spanish, you you can just see that these are people who care about you. They they love that you're visiting their country and having a good time. And, you know, it's just a feel-good yeah. experience. Plus, oh, my God, these monster fish. Right. You know, so, Have you ever thought about, you know, New Zealand moving there, just being there or any of these places? Is that something that ever crossed your mind? No. You know, I've thought, what would it be like? But I've never really thought about doing it. I actually just love the fishing in the Northwest and the Rockies. And uh, I don't know. And, you know, back in the day, you, you know, I kind of lived for steelhead part of the year. So I, you know, started up by Bellingham, Washington and end up down by Ashland, Oregon and go all the way to the Clearwater and everything in between and just do that tour. 
But um, no, I I like my you know six X dry fly fishing on the Henry's Fork and right stuff like that. Have you slowed down on the steelhead uh, prior to a little bit of the dip in the runs, or is that something just? Oh yeah, in a big way. I uh, plus I'm pretty far away from it now, and it's about a ten hour drive to the Lower Deschutes. I could go up to the Clearwater and fish the salmon, but I. Um, you know, I'll just let those fish hopefully rebound. And they've had a few, you know, good optimistic spurts of fish here and there. Yeah, they're getting, I heard some people are catching some out there on the salmon and, and yeah. water a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So, and then what about New Zealand? So I'm looking at this now. You got the, um, I don't even know how to pronounce it, the Wilkin River, the Wilkinie. Uh-huh. Is that, yeah. that's a, the Wilkin. tributary to the larger river that the Cedar Lodge is on, right? The Macarora? Macarora, yeah. So is Macarora a big river? Are you fishing the Macarora? Is that a giant river? Well, it's big, but shallow and, um, lots of really great tributaries that come into it. And, uh, so, you know, when you get there, you could just jump out of the car, grab a rod and walk down. And yeah, when I went there in December, uh, my friend Kevin, who was doing some drone work for me, um, he hooked two near the lodge and then Scott from Gray Sporting Journal hooked another nice one. So right there, walking up the braids of the river, spotting fish, sometimes it was first cast, giant fish. So it's nice to have in your back pocket. We generally fly out to where you won't see farms and mm. houses or anything like that. So, But the Macarora is a great river, and it does have fantastic tributaries. As soon as you fly up those canyons, you think you're – you're not just 18 minutes from the lodge. It feels like you've right, you're out gone there. to another world. Yeah. You're out there. What is that area of New Zealand compared to say, like you said, Colorado, the, that, you know, versus, you know, you love fishing in Colorado, the, the places there versus New Zealand. Is it just a, a people thing or is it, is the landscape a lot different too? Yeah. Different landscape. Um, definitely less people. In fact, you just don't see anybody hmm. in New Zealand or Chile. And, um, both are gorgeous. You know, 11 is from Crested Butte, which is one of the prettiest cities in the country. And so you get there in the summer with the wildflowers or in the fall with the, the colors changing on the Gunnison River or fishing the pocket water on the Taylor. Um, it's just great. Yeah. Um, and it's one, you know, of many great spots in the in the West. And I think there's just good fishing in every state in the country. I don't care what yeah, type of fishing it is. is, you know, it's just great. But um you know, I, I just don't like to compare a lot of things to New Zealand or Chile. It's just not fair. Yeah, you know? it's, <laughs> yeah um, it's not, right. Yeah, it's just different. And it's just nice that you can have great fisheries in your hometown and then, you know, really do the max. You know, the bigger fish, the amazing scenery, no people, great culture, great food. I mean, really, the, the chefs that cook in New Zealand and are chefs that cook in Chile and Iceland and everywhere else. It's just mind boggling. It's really, really amazing. Yeah. And do you fly out when you do that, go to New Zealand? What's, is that a pretty easy flight down? What's that look like? You mean from the States? Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I like to leave out of San Francisco, um, but you can leave from Houston and other towns too. And, you know, giant jet probably seats five or 600 people or something like that. I mean, they're just huge. And but they're big and they don't bounce around a lot. Just cruise down. Just cruise down. What is it like? Ten hours over there, or, how, or no? Yeah, ten and a half to eleven, and then you land in Auckland. A couple of hours later, jump on a flight to either Queenstown or Nelson, 
And then from there, it's fish mode. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so could you do the same thing, like get your ticket, go down there and find a trout town down in New Zealand and just kind of do the same thing? Yep, you could. And, you know, the language barrier isn't a barrier. And people rent little camper vans and things like that yeah. and, and get vans. around on those. And yeah, there's a lot cool. of water. And, and you know, really, I, I spent quite a bit of time on the North Island on my first trip and then the trip afterwards. And uh, lots of good trout fishing on the North Island. And then people do tend to sort of gravitate down to the South Island because you, you hit the Southern Alps and the beautiful scenery. And I mean, all of New Zealand's beautiful, even if it's not giant mountains. I mean, the, it's pastoral, these beautiful farms that just green is green. And, and um, yeah, there's, you can just close your eyes and hold your phone up and take a picture and it'll, it'll be great. You know? <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I love the, yeah, I get the camper van. What would be one of those towns that's kind of the trout town or a place you could maybe shoot off from down there on the South Island, say? Well, you know, there aren't really trout towns. Okay. There's just a lot of towns and there's rivers and streams and lakes. Yeah. Doesn't really matter. Are there fly shops or things like that? Uh, there's a little bit of tackle in Queenstown and Christchurch, um, but not much. Yeah, you pretty much have to be self-sufficient. You know, when I went down there as a 19-year-old, I took some flies, and pretty soon they were pretty beat up, and they weren't very good to begin with uh, as far as quality goes. And I had to go through barnyards and stuff and pick up feathers. Oh, wow, you did. And, so then you... <laughs> I, and I had actually find, you know, calf or cow hair on the barbed wire, and I'd pluck that off, and I'd just get thread from you know, a store and not a fly shop, but just regular thread. And I'd tie these sort of, you know, yeah. hair wing, you know, like a calf tail cool. wing dry fly. And that fish just loved them. And loved them. So do you have any of those flies left still from that many years ago? Oh, I'm glad you asked Dave. I, I have one fly left and now, you know, I went down there in November of 1973 so this is my 50th year anniversary. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I still have one of those flies that maybe was a year or two old when I got it. So it's over 50 years old and it's, I have it sort of protected so I don't ever lose it. Yeah. But um, things have changed. So you're not fishing that one down there. You're going to keep <laughs> no. that on the same. Yeah. 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 Things have changed a little bit. Well, that's the question. Like if somebody goes down there now, they probably could find some flies down in the bigger towns maybe. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, general sporting goods stores that always have a little fly fishing section, and you could make do with that stuff. I mean, you could get a rod if you had a rod problem. You could get a net. You could get boots. And, you know, it's not recommended to take your wading boots to, you know, different countries. Just Didymo and other problems with transporting microorganisms. So, and, and felt's not allowed. But even so it's probably better to buy your boots there and then give them away or something when you're done. But you could take, you know, rubber sole boots and it's okay. But uh, yeah, you can find some gear here and there, but most people at this day and age are going to do their research, tie flies, buy flies and have a pretty good selection of stuff when they get there. Good tippet, that sort of thing. Trout Routes is the most comprehensive mapping app for trout anglers. With over 50,000 trout streams, 350,000 access points, public land maps, and more, Trout Routes is the number one resource for navigating, researching, and exploring trout streams. And it deserves a place in every angler's toolkit. 
I was in New York fishing recently. My first time in New York fishing, I had the Trout Routes app, and I was able to check out and access public access points through the maze of private property on the rivers we were fishing. And after I got into the stream and was fishing down through a run, um, I wasn't quite sure. I saw a house down below. I wasn't quite sure where the property lines ended, but given that I had trout routes, I was confident where I was fishing and I was able to uh, assure that I wasn't trespassing. You will be fully prepared with offline maps. You can get driving directions to points of interest, drop pins, add your notes in the app, all while keeping all of your data private to your account only. You can visit TroutRoutes.com right now to learn more and download the Trout Routes app for free in the App Store today. That's Trout Routes, T-R-O-U-T-R-O-U-T-E-S. Start exploring today. And back to that uh, slideshow, we're sitting there in the theater watching this and you're just kind of walking through some fish picks, showing the mountains. Like, what is that? How do you, how do you set up your, because you're a photographer too, you've got these skills, we talked about that in the past, but how do you set that presentation up for this New Zealand, you know, so it's interesting and how does that look? Yeah, I think uh, the easiest way to sum it up is day in the life. And so it would follow you through, you know, this best eggs Benedict you ever had and then what you're taking onto the helicopter and some of the rules of helicopter travel, you know, hold your hat. Don't point any rods are not set up. They're broken down, but you still don't point up anything above your head. And the blades are way above you anyway, but still, it's just common sense. And then the flight, of course, is unbelievably beautiful. And sometimes the pilots will even sort of swoop into some valleys just to show you these incredible mountain peaks and things like that. And then land and secure your gear and the helicopter takes off. And then it's a day of stalking fish. And, it's all upstream um, and it depends on the time of the year and what's going on, but I prefer to dry fly fishing, but at times you'll fish a tiny little bit of a wool indicator, New Zealand style and, and a small nymph. But if there's bugs hatching or if there's a, a lot of beetles and stuff, there's going to be dry fly action and the cicadas. Mm. So we go through, you know, a day on the water, different types of stream. I usually show the easy walking Valley streams and say a guy has, or a woman, I'll just say an angler, mm -hmm. has maybe a knee replacement or something, or a sore ankle, or doesn't get around with great mobility, then, well, yeah, we've got these really low-gradient, grassy-banked rivers where it's just a blast because it's easy walking. It just You just feel really great. You know, you can see fish, and it's perfect. And then there's kind of this intermediate zone of cobble rock, not so much gravel bars and grassy banks, but more true freestone rivers, cobble rocks, some basketball-sized rocks. And then there's the headwater rivers, which are some of the most scenic, um, the blue, blue, blue water color and big boulders and the canopy over the rivers sometimes or forest right on the edge, gorgeous. And, and that's for, you know, people with good knees and they're pretty agile and can hop around rocks and ford the river four or five times. So I just generally show the different options for you know, how physical people are, how their mobility is, and they all have options. They're all good. It's just, you know, if you don't feel great scrambling over boulders, then yeah, stay down the valley and some of the biggest fish are down there. So try to show a day in the life what it's like, come back, uh, be met at the helicopter with a, you know, the, a fresh cocktail and then uh, you know, hit the hot tub or hang out, have dinner, you know, it's the stuff that you wish never ended. Right. 
right? What's the what do you like the food? Do you get tired of the or do you like cooking? Is that something or do you enjoy the travel and people cooking for you out there with the chefs and all that? Oh, well, it's the best food you'll ever have. So I gotta say I love that. And the you know, homemade breads of all different kinds, bread, you know, loaves, rolls baguettes everything um amazing desserts and you know whether it's chile or new zealand nobody is far from the ocean you know so new zealand's commercial saltwater fishing is world famous especially blue cod fish and chips and things like that then chile of course has fantastic seafood with oysters and clams and octopus and all kinds of neat stuff so there's a lot of seafood which you would think mostly oh beef or lamb and, and that's there for sure but seafood is amazing um, wow. yeah and, and at Owen river lodge they have a giant garden so you, you just walk out there pick the lettuce and the broccoli and the cucumbers and the zucchinis and so it's it's definitely just garden to table and um, so we do mainly because there aren't big towns or any towns where we have operations so we do farm to table before it was a thing except our farm to table deviates usually through a winery or a brewery before it gets to the table. Cause we, I just love showing off fantastic wines from New Zealand and Chile and great breweries. You know, there's a lot of Germans in South America. I think I read there's 8 million, 8 million Germans in Brazil, you know, huh. so their early influence on, you know, really a lot of meats, the sausages, smoked, meats and beer and so you have some fantastic beer in chile and have german names you know so you know what can be better than that dave yeah i was just gonna say well that's perfect uh you're highlighting the back to the texas uh fly fishing festival and the brew fest right i mean yeah is that something there there are plenty of brews on tap how does that look when you go to the event there in texas do you partake or there a bunch yeah sure it's fantastic all these different exhibitors inside and outside and you know it's fun to taste different beers and and then you know i was just down in dallas a week ago to do a presentation for a group and i checked where my hotel was then i did a barbecue near me and there were four barbecues within you know 15 minutes so you know you can do the the taste all the beers check out the coolest stuff in fly fishing and wander a mile or two in mesquite texas and have fantastic barbecue and it starts to sound pretty good yeah that does sound great. And what was that event you went down to? Was that a presentation just where you present on kind of some of this same stuff or a different type of deal? Yeah, it was a group in Dallas that have homes in Crested Butte. So it's a little bit of a, our, sort of our neighbors in Crested oh, Butte. Okay. And they get together once a year. So myself and Cameron Davenport from 11, we went down and gave a presentation on all the different options, you know, from the Bahamas to Iceland and New Zealand, Chile, et cetera. And uh, it's just kind of a big happy family because they're they're homeowners in Crested Butte that live in Dallas. And and so great food, real fun. We ate a lot of great barbecue and street tacos. We did the Texas thing. Yep, Texas. Uh, Just going back to New Zealand, what what is, if somebody's planning that trip time-wise, what do you think is a good time to head down there, plan your trip if you're looking ahead, say, for this next year? Well, any time. It doesn't really matter. December through March and... You know, you have the greenest of green in December and January. You have fantastic weather midsummer, which is their, you know, January, February. And then it starts to be, you know, tipping towards fall in March. And 
um, you have a little bit lower water, you have super clear water and you know, there's just nothing. I, I'd flip a coin if I had to pick a place. Any month. So if you said New Zealand, you could really just say any month of the year would be cool down there. Yeah. Because each month will have something to its advantage, either a type of hatch or maybe, you know, it's, and you know, whether it's, the Pacific Northwest, Chile, everything that's on the ocean, New Zealand, you know, there's clouds, there's going to be some rain, and that's just why there's so many rivers and lakes. And so, you know, January, February are, you know, not as rainy, if that matters. I don't care, actually, but, you know, there's going to be an advantage to almost any season you're there. You'll hit the cicadas, or you'll have some other terrestrial fishing, or you'll have mayflies this time of the year. So, wow. How'd you, yeah, how'd you learn about like the fishing and where like and you say, well, you are obviously been there, but if somebody's thinking like, hey, I want to get some resources, learn where to go, sounds like you can just go anywhere. But what would be your recommendation there just for somebody to get prepped on that? Well, there's just tons online. There is. There's tons of stuff, yeah. Yeah, everywhere, everything. And so pretty easy to get sort of dialed in. I was really lucky because as a little kid, my grandparents, you know, my grandfather fred w johnson he was a dry fly purist hmm. in missoula montana but he and my grandmother marie went to new zealand in the 50s back when most people didn't even know what a new zealand was they thought there was shrunken heads like in new guinea or something like that yeah. and, and they had to fly there via Japan, it took 30 to almost 40 hours to get from the West Coast to Japan. So you had to hop over these little islands like Midway and things like that. You finally get to Japan. And then it was down through Singapore, I think the Philippines and Australia, and then over. It took days and days and days to wow. get to New Zealand. And then they, you know, I don't know exactly how they got around. I, I know when they went to Africa, and they, these were just Forest Service people. They never. They these are your and, these are your grandparents on your yeah. mom's side, yeah. And so they just saved and went. They went to Africa, and, and I think they bought a little station wagon car and drove all over the Serengeti and all that stuff. So pretty adventurous people, and and so they fished these rivers. And I you know saw the pictures, and then as I got a little bit older, and was really getting into fly fishing. So my grandfather you know really cracked the whip on my brother and I. I thought, well, it'd be really neat before. I go to college, I think I'll go to New Zealand for three months and I'll follow my grandparents' footsteps through through their journals and maps huh. and stuff. So I got kind of organized and off I went. Well, three months went really fast and then six months and finally 11 months. But, you know, so I had a, a neat little, you know, sidebar to my trip of fishing the Buller River, and which is right next to Owen River Lodge. And I think I even recognize places they stayed that were actually hotels that had been around for a hundred years. And it was kind of neat to put a place with their, you know, original trip. In fact, when I was, when I got to Nelson in 1973 or four, I couldn't really get out of town without hitchhiking. There was really nowhere to, where to walk. And, and so I got picked up by this older couple and it turns out we made some small talk. They were going to drive me to the edge of town. And, uh, they said, oh, you're from America. Oh, we used to have some Americans that stayed at our hotel. And I said, oh, that's neat. Whereabouts? And she says, oh, we were down on the Buller River. And, oh, my grandparents used to fish the Buller River. And, and the, the woman just says, well, what were their names? I said, Fred and Marie Johnson. She goes, oh, my God, we still get Christmas cards from them. <laughs> so now wow. 
I had a connection and they would not let me out of the car. Nope. They're going back to their house. They had a cottage in the back there. It's going to be my house. I was there for 10 days. They drove me around in Nelson Lakes national park, Jeez. all these different rivers. They had a boat to fish in the salt water. Oh, and that's just so kiwi to have an experience like that. You know, it's just the nicest people in the world. And, uh, so back to your original question. Yeah. I had a little insider info, um, at least, at least from the desire part and from, some logistics, but you know, one good map and everything's on your phone anyway. So yeah. yeah your grandparents, uh, Fred W. Johnson and your grandma, they planted the seed for you is what it kind of. Oh, big time. Yeah. You know, this is kind of crazy, but when he was fly fishing for steelhead in Northern California, back in the old, old days, he used gut leaders, which is intestine, sometimes cat intestine. And then they were stripped in these thin little strips and they have to be kept wet. So the entire life of the leader is damp to wet. And while you're fishing, they're staying wet. Because if they dry out, they just break and they're brittle. And so when he would swing steelhead flies, he always had a little bit of slack. When a fish took, he would feed slack out so he could slowly, gently connect to the fish. But you couldn't set the hook. It would just snap. Yep. I mean, that just blows God. my mind, you know? Dude, like, yeah, a 10-pound fish on gut leader. That is crazy. Yeah, bamboo rod wow. and silk lines. So your grandpa had it in him. And then was what about that? Was there a, a, a his dad, was there somebody there that also had some of that angling? Do you, um, know, do you know that history? That's going pretty far back because your grandpa was probably born in the early part of the 19... Yeah, he was born in the 1800s. 1800s, yeah. Yeah, and they were, my grandfather and grandmother were both college-educated. My grandmother had a degree in biology, which is pretty rare if you're born in the 1890s, but... Oh, yeah. Um, and worked for the Forest Service. Yeah, and he worked his way up to be supervisor of several big, well-known national forests, the Kaibab in Arizona by the Grand Canyon, Mount Shasta National forest and then the bitterroot lolo national forest out of missoula and idaho and so and it was all great fishing but um he wanted to join world war one but he was too young plus he was really tall he was about six five <laughs> and if you see wow. me you know like where did i come from yeah how tall are you yeah you're you don't have that gene do you <laughs> five eight yeah and uh and so he somehow got over to England and joined the Royal Air Force, the RAF. And, and, and wow. I don't know all the rest of the stories and all that, but apparently there was some colonel or some high-ranking officer who my grandfather sort of worked for. And I don't think they were going to send an 18-year-old or whatever age he was you know, out to the front lines, but he uh, worked with this colonel. And there just so happened to be all those famous chalk streams of England. You know, and so this colonel was a, a fly fisher and apparently, you know, war raging and all these still went fishing a little bit. And take my grandfather. My grandfather was introduced to fly fishing on these streams like the Test and the Itchen. Uh, this is World War One or Two? World War One. Yeah, World War One. yeah. And so he uh, just saw that. And then when he came back, I think he lived, lived in Ohio at the time and he started investigating fly fishing and he was... So a lifetime angler, even with the most primitive equipment possible. And then my my grandmother became a good angler and, and my mom is a good angler. So, um, so. But you're uh, not sure on that. You don't know the next behind your dad's, uh, your uh, grandpa's dad or, or mom. You don't know. No, I don't think there was anything. Yeah. I think he was the start of it all. Well, that's the start of, if you go back that far now, you're into literally the start of modern fishing, right? 1850s. Oh yeah. That's kind of oh, when yeah. it started, right? Yeah. Gosh, okay. I'm glad we got this little family history. I don't think we talked about that before. This is this is awesome. So um, 
Well, let's take it out here real quick with our little, um, we've been doing a Fly Shop Friday shout out session, even though it's not Friday, but we do have a holiday coming up here. So um, I want to get a shout out from a Fly Shop. I'm sure you know them all, but uh, maybe who your local shop is. This is presented by, obviously, by Bo and the Texas uh, Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. But uh, who is that? Do you have a Fly Shop that you you have nearby you or are are there a few? Nothing super close, but I always stop into a couple. One would be the Henry's Fork Anglers in Island Park, plus across the street, there's Trout Hunter, and you can always get a great burger and a beer. Mm-hmm. And then I'll run up to Kelly's shop at Slide In on the Madison, and man, oh man, those three fantastic stores right there with some of the best guides in the world, so... That's pretty nice. Yeah, you're in the heart of it. It seems like Idaho, I mean, you're right there. You literally are between Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. You're just right in the middle of the mountain west, right? There's some of the great rivers. Was that your plan? I mean, that was your plan, right? You thought, like, where is the best fishing? I want to move there first. Well, pretty much. You know, I was over in eastern Oregon after, you know, 40-some years in central Oregon with Bend being the main town, but living in that area with, you know, great fishing, Metolius, Crooked, Deschutes, Fall River, et cetera, et cetera, good lakes. Then I went to Eastern Oregon, and that was for brown trout and smallmouth bass. And then I came here because, well, I was road tripping out here every year, sometimes twice. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go live there. And I don't plan on owning a house ever again. I just want to rent and live in small trout towns or just small towns near trout. And lo and behold, not only did I you know, find and learn tons more about this area, because I used to fish Railroad Ranch primarily on the Henry's Fork, but of course there's lots more to do than that. But I also found really big bass out in the desert, and there's a couple uh, small, literally small spring creeks that as they enter these large reservoirs have giant carp that look like Chinook salmon, and they're really super spooky, and it's really fun. So, you know, it's when you think of living by the Henry's Fork or the South Fork of the Snake, you really wouldn't think bass and carp, but they're here. And then as the Henry's Fork and the South Fork connect by the little town of Manan, then, you know, it goes down all the way, you know, past Boise and into Oregon and Washington, the snake does, and that's all bass country. So the bass are not far away, big smallmouth bass and largemouth bass. And uh, so I have a lake boat and a drift boat. And, you know, the hardest thing to do some days is figure out where to go because there's too many options. Too many. Yeah. And what's your drift boat? What's your uh, brand there you, you use? Oh, uh, it's out of business. But I guess someone has bought the molds. It's it's called a Yellowstone Drifter. Oh, really? With a little wood trim on the top. Okay. So it's a Yellowstone Drifter. Is it a standard? Is it like a low-sided, more of a uh, like an old uh, typical br- drift boat style? It's a little bit... Um, like I think of typical, I think of, you know, like McKenzie Rogue shoots boats, but they have more of the high sides for whitewater. Yep. This one would be a medium sized boat, um, which is just perfect, you know, because it's not as low as the adipose, but it still can take some nice water. And it's old. It's a, I think it was made in 1978 or something like that. Yeah, I see it. It's, I mean, I'm looking at them now. I mean, they're beautiful. Yeah, they're cool because they're, they're fiberglass, but uh, they have that really nice wood trim. Yeah, it looks like a wood, it looks like a wood drift boat. Yeah, you know, I call it sort of a poor man's Boulder Boatworks boat because, you know, drift boats, even used boats, are, they hold their price. You know, they're oh, super yeah. expensive. But I shopped and shopped and looked and looked. And I finally found boat and trailer oars anchor and rope for under four thousand dollars which is 
almost impossible to do. Yeah, you can. I mean, boats seems like all boats now are ten thousand or more for everything. Yeah, and this one had a brand new gel coat. So, except for being kind of an odd color, what color is it? Oh, it's. So remember when you were a kid and you had your crayons? This would be like beige. Oh, beige. Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. It's just not. It's sort of like human flesh colored. I yeah. guess it's just not a great color. But if you go on their website, you see their green boat and some others. They're just gorgeous. Yeah, they do. They look really nice. Yeah, it's got a nice rocker. We did a little series on our drift boat history, so I'm always interested hearing about. That's another boat we haven't. Uh, I wonder who the. I'll have to track down. I'm not sure who was the founder of that. Uh, do you know? Yeah. No, I don't. Uh, I've been to their Facebook page just to see what they've got. And I think the new owner or owners are in Bozeman and they're continuing the line of boats and they're really pretty. I, I like them. I'd love to have a new one, but I, you know, what's the difference between a new one and an old one if it doesn't leak and you get a decent trailer, you know, it's good to go. Good so to go. yeah, we were, when we did that trip up there, I floated with, uh, we use Miller boats who rents hide drift boats and it was my oh, first. Oh yeah. They're was, just down the street. Oh yeah. They're near, yeah, they're near. And it's the first time I rode, um, a hide and it, it was that low sided pram style and i was just wow it was so nice oh they're so easy to row so, yeah so easy but okay cool so a couple more quick ones we'll get out of here um so beer what's your type of beer your go-to beer what do you have one brand or anything you could give a shout out to first priority would be cold yep and um it's just a it's sort of a time of day and mood uh Probably more sort of lawn mowing beer for okay. floating rivers. But like easy light beer. So you're not talking a dark, yeah. dark beer or anything like that. No. IPA. But that that's what I would have in the evening or up at Trout Hunter. Um, a good IPA. Oh, you would? Okay. Yeah, for you got sure. Good idea. Oh, yeah. What's your one steelhead fly? You, know, you can only pick one right now for any river, clear water, whatever. Well, it doesn't have a name, but it would have a bright, uh, hot orange bead, a down eye hook. And then uh, kind of cactus chenille purple body and purple rabbit strip over the top, a little bit of flash. And if it was an Olympic sport, that's what I'd fish. That's it. All right, perfect. And uh, the final one, so looking back at where you are now, I can't remember your age, but you're 25. Think of your 25-year-old self. I'm not sure where you were when you were 25, but looking at that person, what advice now that you know would you give that 25-year-old if you can, you know, what you learned? Oh, that's a great question. It's super easy. Learn Spanish. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. There you go. Oh, yeah. Baja, Cuba, parts of the Caribbean, all of South America. Yeah, it would be. And what did I do in high school? I took a little Russian. Oh, you yeah. took Russian. What good is that? <laughs> Wait, have you have you been uh, you have utilized that any of the the steelhead stuff over in Kamchatka or any of that? Well, yeah, I did go to Kamchatka, um, and I you know had my twenty words ready to go. Yeah, and uh, but what a waste! If I had taken, you know, I did take some night classes and some adult ed in Spanish, and you know you go somewhere and you do start to. It sort of kicks in again, but I'm a word guy. I'm not a good sentence guy, so I can point and say what the word is, but uh, you just feel like such an idiot. Yeah, yeah. No, it's always good to try to get into more into the culture, right? Get part of it. Cool. All right, Brian. Well, I'll leave it there. We'll send everybody, like we said at the start, to 11angling.com if they want to check out more of what you have going, trips and everything. And um, yeah, I think that's great. I think we'll leave it there. I appreciate you coming on again, and hopefully we'll get a, maybe another summary from you next year sometime. And check in on what you have going thanks for the time today well thank you very much david i just add you know if someone wants to just see lots of really cool fish photos from yeah. all over whether they want to book a 
trip with us or not, but the Eleven Angling on Instagram is really a fun place to see cool photography. Oh, perfect. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, but I'll put a link in the show notes. So at Eleven Angling, that's Eleven spelled out, right? Yeah. Eleven Angling. Okay. All right, Brian. We'll talk to you uh, and keep in touch. Thanks. Thank you very much, Dave. Have a good one. See you. Bye. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com, if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. 